0: today on ag news daily
1: well uh, to be honest with you nowadays it's a lot of it's fraud related people are being victimized um, and and i like to say they're getting their cattle stolen from them while the uh the thief is shaking their hand and they're smiling at each other it's kind of turned to a white collar crime and unfortunately these these crimes can get into the hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, very quickly
0: Good afternoon and welcome to another, it's morning, good morning and welcome to another episode of the Agnews Daily Podcast. (laughs) Billy Howell joined by Tanner Winterhoff. I'm obviously not fully awake this morning, Tanner.
2: Yeah, I don't think we can fool anybody that it would be afternoon based upon the way you started that off.
0: Yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Things are great. Suns are shining. It is going to be a warm one today across the Midwest.
0: It certainly is, Tanner, and yesterday we got the crop progress report, which noted some of that warm weather that we've been seeing here. The crop corn crop condition was rated 67% in good to excellent condition, down 3% from the week prior, probably most notably due to some of the hot weather we had last week. And on the soybean side of things, Crop conditions were at sixty-five percent good to excellent, down again three percentage points on soybeans as well, with the biggest drops in Iowa and Illinois, as well as some pretty big drops in Kentucky, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Mississippi. So overall, the crop is slightly declining and may continue to be the trend as we do see a lot of hot and dry continuing to be in the forecast.
2: I tell you what, as you see the market's not responding to that news. It's because we are still ahead of the five-year average in both of those categories. So uh, kind of an interesting report to go take a look at. Nothing earth shattering, but it makes you remember how good we've had it these last couple of years production wise. And then of course, small wheat updates, you know, 41% of the crop has now been harvested. 30% of the winter wheat was rated good to excellent. So um, quite a difficult year for those trying to capture high wheat prices, especially due to either it was too wet to get it planted, too wet for it to grow, or in these instances, uh, some areas too dry. But Delaney, we've got some relief on the way for the southern region. There is a tropical disturbance that is bringing drought relief to the Gulf Coast. The tropical rainstorm is tracking towards the Caribbean, is now on the cusp of becoming named a tropical storm, and meteorologists are monitoring how that disturbance is affecting the northern Gulf of Mexico. So it could spin up into a tropical storm, but ultimately it's providing much needed rain for that northern shore of the Gulf Coast. Jumping across waters from one gulf to another country. A quick little headline here. Austria is preparing to reopen a coal-powered power plant. So unimaginable is the headline. In southern Austria, there's pictures of spider webs and flowers and and all these things taking over this coal-fired power plant. But the main reason, Delaney, is they're nervous that Russia may cut its crucial gas deliveries down even further This plant was closed in 2020, and they are getting prepared to launch it again, so Austria is less dependent upon Russian fuels.
0: Well, I'm going to take us back to the wheat sector here for just a moment, because I did think this was pretty notable and very interesting. I was actually just reading an article earlier yesterday about an op-ed, basically Pointing out that corn and soybeans have seen a lot of technology, Tanner, when it comes to GM and GMOs, but the wheat industry certainly has not seen the same commercialization. And so when you look at wheat acreage and wheat bushels per acre, wheat has not seen the same level of increase that we saw in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s with different introductions of corn and soybean varieties. But that may change the FDA has found no safety issue with a new drought-tolerant biotech variety of wheat known as HB4, which was developed by an Argentinian company, Biosaris Crop Solutions. And the FDA is considering allowing this into the lineup of new traits that are allowed by U.S. producers to grow. However, Australia is also considering a similar allowance there into their wheat production as well. And Again, as you look at the technology that's in the wheat industry, there just isn't a ton of options for wheat producers.
2: And I wonder if that has historically been profit-driven. You know, is, is wheat a necessary crop? Yes. Has it historically been extremely profitable to more additional research? I'd be curious to see what the comparisons look like. Uh, but now we know with the global shortages that we're having, how important it is. So good to see some progress. An industry that's not seen much progress, and that is the rail industry. So we reported last week on June 18th that the uh, rail workers said no, flat out rejected the latest contract offer from the Canadian National and International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers on the contracts that came back from the Rail Association. This article is stating that Alongside the Electrical Workers Union going on strike, there is a perfect storm brewing for a logistics failure here in the U.S. Uh, So really poor contract negotiations. We talked about how after June 18th, we were going to approach the 30-day cool-off period in the rail workers' Started the arbitration so now there's no discussions for 30 days as part of that and again that only opens up another 30-day contract uh, negotiation for the side of that so we can potentially see delaying 90 days before any contract uh, agreements are met on the rail side but port workers are also approaching a point where they may be going on strike so not good for the logistics part of the U.S. if we can't get these union contracts figured out for both rail and port. But one thing that agriculture is doing to at least try and keep the railway safe is monitoring railroad crossings. So it's reported also that there was a farmer in Sheridan County, Missouri, where the uh, Amtrak train derailment happened, unfortunately resulting in multiple deaths. But this farmer had noted that this crossing was not safe. Actually, posted a video to Facebook, Delaney, of a train traveling upwards of 50 mm. miles an hour through that intersection, noting how dangerous it was to cross with his equipment and called on the railway to fix that situation. So, uh, good on you, farmers out there monitoring everything on the back roads in rural America. Keep it up, and maybe our voices will be heard before another accident like this happens.
0: Yeah, that's you don't like to hear about those. No, certainly not. Well, Tanner, I've got some fun news to pick us up on this Tech Tuesday episode. I think this is somewhat tech-related, but do you know what Farming Simulator is? The video game? Absolutely. Okay. Have you played it?
2: I have not.
0: Okay. Me neither. But I know a lot of kids in college that I was friends with did play it, which I never quite understood because a lot of them farmed as well. But... This young man has decided or has turned his farming simulator career into an actual farm career, Tanner. Grant Gilbert out of Ankeny, Iowa has played farming simulator for quite a few years and within the last couple of years he was able to gain about 1.3 million followers on his YouTube channel and with that was able to start monetizing his YouTube channel of him playing farming simulator. Well, He's earned enough money that he was able to buy 250 acres here in Powashik and Mahaska County and said that now he has planted his corn and soybean crop for one of the first years ever. Isn't that astonishing?
2: It is. And uh, both Grant and his brother, Spencer, are Iowa State University grads. Uh, We had the pleasure of having them in studio for a Farm for Profit episode. That will come out a week from Thursday. So on July 7th, they are a fascinating set of brothers, extremely driven and and definitely uh, are very humble. The fact that playing a video game, a computer (laughs) game has allowed them to achieve their dream of becoming first generation farmers. So obviously selfishly listening to uh, our interview with them on the Farm Profit podcast next week.
0: I will absolutely check that out because I'm really excited to hear that one, Tanner. Good find.
2: Yeah, and, and like I said, they were great, great people too. That's the fun part is sometimes you can see that go uh, go to the head of an individual that um, gets wealth on a quick basis at a young age, uh, but they seem to have a very great, great investment future for them and they love the world of agriculture, so I'd expect to see more. But last piece I have for today, and uh, hopefully those of you waiting on your new pickup orders can start to see a little bit of supply for microchips, semiconductors, easement. So a Taiwan company is boosting their Taiwan production. And then to help matters even more in the future, they plan to build a chip plant in Texas. So we reported yesterday that Texas is getting an expansion of Chevron headquarters. Now Taiwan is announcing that their global wafers company will build a $5 billion chip plant in Texas. The this will not help you next week. It will not help you next year. The completion of this plant isn't anticipated until early 2025, but this is an effort to not have the situation with chip shortages happen again, having more of them manufactured within the U.S. borders.
0: And those are the chips that we went through a shortage of with like computers and whatnot during COVID. Is that accurate, Tanner?
2: That's correct. And then the ones that uh, were included in vehicles. So sometimes vehicles now, I've heard reports of farmers getting deliveries of pickups with some features not operational in there until uh, a recall will be issued to where they can put the chip in. So they're basically semiconductors, very simple technology from what this article says, uh, but very crucial for making the relay of computer decisions to functional aspects of your vehicle.
0: Well, I have just one final piece of news, and I think it kind of follows along in that same suit, you know, because we had obviously a large shortage on those types of things, and vehicles were hard to source, or still are hard to source, I suppose, new vehicles and used. But the other thing that's been hard to source, Tanner, of course, is chemicals and inputs, Reuters is reporting as of yesterday that quite a few farmers have cut back on common uses of weed killers and fungicides and other over-the-crop application use chemicals. They said that a lot of farmers have been spraying in smaller volumes of herbicides and turning to less effective fungicides because they're just simply available. Interviews with more than a dozen chemical dealers, manufacturers, farmers, and weed specialists have shown that disruptions to the U.S. growers' production has changed strategies and, of course, raised their costs. So I'm just curious if any of our listeners have changed their usage of herbicide, of fungicide, et cetera, this year. Let us know. I'm curious to see how many growers this really did impact this year.
2: Yeah, I, I would also be. I know I've got a couple customers that uh, maybe took a precautionary route in switching up their regimen, but uh, let us know. Reach out to us on social media, find AgNews Daily, and uh, give us your feedback. But Delaney, the markets have maybe turned around a little bit for us this morning. It looks like maybe they paid attention to the crop conditions fading here at the open. Of course, we talked about major states with the biggest fade, what are things looking like?
0: Yes, that is a great synopsis of what we're seeing this morning, Tanner. And there's also kind of the question mark of really where we're at as far as demand goes. You know, Ted mentioned yesterday demand destruction. It's still a little early to tell if we're there yet, but that is still a question the market is weighing, as well as, of course, crop condition reports. New crop corn heading into the open this morning is higher about 662 up 9 cents. New crop soybeans up about 16 and a half cents trading around the 14.49 mark. Wheat also higher this morning about 20 cents higher across the board in the Chicago wheat contract and about 14 cents higher in the hard red KC wheat contract. As you look at livestock this morning, they're also seeing a little positivity in the cattle complex up across the board in live cattle and feeder cattle and lower trading lower this morning in lean hogs. So we might have a little bit of a turnaround Tuesday Tanner. So uh yeah, markets can't figure out what's going on. It seems. <laughs>
2: We've said from the beginning of the year that volatility will play a huge factor in this 2022 marketing year, but uh, Tech Tuesday went well for news, and I think we're going to take a unique approach to Tech Tuesday for our interview today. Uh, we have the pleasure of talking with Bo Fox, who is in Texas monitoring the safety of livestock in his official uh, law enforcement position, but as you get deeper into the interview, you'll realize that the most common theft form right now is done right under your nose. So let's jump into that conversation.
3: Well, listeners, this is Castie, and I am excited to introduce my good friend, Bo Fox, Special Ranger for the Texas Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. Bo, we're excited to have you on this morning. Thank you for joining.
1: Thank you for having me, Cassidy.
3: And listeners, just a little background. Bo is the father of one of my greatest friends from high school, and I knew him back when he was in a little bit more of a conventional law enforcement role. So, Bo, how about you tell us a little bit about your background in law enforcement and agriculture and how you got to where you are now?
1: Okay. Okay. It really, uh, I guess agriculture started before law enforcement did. Went to college to pursue a agricultural degree, East Texas A&M Commerce, it was then East, East Texas State University. Showing my age a little bit, but we've always uh, had a little uh, hay operation in East, East Texas. Um, helped my father-in-law with a cow calf operation as well. Um, about halfway through college, uh, I really felt the calling, the tugging to, uh, to get into law enforcement. It was, It's kind of a family affair in my family. Uh, my grandfather was uh, with Dallas Police Department for 33 years. And so kind of answered that tug and uh, went to uh, East Texas Police Academy back about 95 and got my uh, peace officer license. Started at Lindale, Texas, worked there for about a year and a half. My first law enforcement job, kind of wanted to get back toward home, which was Sulphur Springs. Um, Got a job at uh, Hopkins County Sheriff's Office. Uh, Worked there for about a year and a half, and I ultimately left there and went to Sulphur Springs Police Department. You know, basically it was was a, a decision based on money. Sulphur Springs PD paid, paid quite a bit more at the time, and anyway, I spent about right at twenty years with Sulphur Springs Police Department. With uh, oh, a little over fifteen of that being in uh, being in the criminal investigation division.
3: That's very interesting, Bo. And what made you leave Sulphur Springs to get this job? And I remember when you did take the special ranger job. I remember Jolie, your daughter, being very excited about how much more safe it would be because now you were a cow cop. Is that a true assumption on her part
1: well i mean it's it, at the end of the day we're you know we're we are law enforcement officers um have to you know carry all the same credentials all the um keep up with the same training, so I guess there's still an element of danger um, always there, and um you know you, you as long as you're in law enforcement um, in the world we're in today that that element is always there now you know I guess the difference is um you know, we're not necessarily frontline responders. Now, at any given point in today's world, um, we could be a first first line responder. Okay, and um, we never we never lose that in emergency situation. But you know, we're not. I'm not out there stopping cars on a day to day basis. I know it's Sulphur Springs. I was on the SWAT, actually, assistant commander of the SWAT team. Um, so you know, I was frequently responding to um, high risk search warrants, stuff like that. So I guess that's probably where her, her element of relief come in, obviously, with my wife and kids. It's At the end of the day, we still a police officer, and, and that threat is, is, is still there. But maybe it's a little bit different role, a little bit more of a backseat than, than what I had before. So what you're up to
2: now for us here in central Iowa who don't have a lot of cattle experience, what is your main responsibilities in your current role?
1: Okay, yes, sir. Uh, Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association has been around since 1877, and it was founded upon what we could offer was basically law enforcement assistance for ranchers at that time, and that's kind of still what we are today. First and foremost, what we investigate is theft of livestock we are actually a uh, commissioned Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association we we are uh, we have commissioned officers in Texas and Oklahoma those of us Texas officers that are what we call along the border of Oklahoma we are actually a uh, dual commissioned. so um we're commissioned by Texas Department of Public Safety in Texas and we carry a commission with the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation in um, in Oklahoma and like I said, primary responsibility is theft of livestock, but we will we will work and assist in any case that is a agricultural-related theft.
3: So in that role, so, uh, what kind of things have you seen that livestock owners and producers can do to mitigate their risk of theft and other types of crimes, especially in the counties you work in, I know, are pretty high rates of cattle theft?
1: Yes, and first and foremost, and this is – this this suggestion would have been true 100 years ago it's still true today probably even more true today brand your livestock um there is you know um everybody in in, in northeast texas southeastern oklahoma uh everybody runs some runs some form of it seems like angus cows and um they're black and there's you know there's really no no way to distinguish those cows if they if they get out or, or if a neighbor takes them from you and takes them to the sale barn. An unbranded cow, it, it's hard to identify at the end of the day. Talking to some victims, well, you know, I had a ear tag. Well, I mean, the ear tag is going to be the first thing removed if somebody is uh, up to no good. So, you know, a brand is, is hard to cover. Our inspectors we have at sale barns are trained to um, detect overbrands or altered brands and so one of those goes through they call us and we start to investigate Texas and Southwestern has a huge database and and that kind of goes into the to this you know we have brand inspectors at every barn every livestock commission in the state of Texas so um, they' they're documenting brands of every head that comes through and, and other markings too but um, particularly brands and so we do, we catalog all of this in our at our headquarters in Fort Worth And, you know, should we get a report of a branded cow stolen or missing, that's the first thing we check is our database. And um, a lot of times we can narrow it down from then and develop a suspect, um, particularly on branded cows. One of the the biggest things, I guess the second biggest thing, and this is true in all forms of theft, and I've heard the old motto before from people, well, I'm not going to lock it because they're just going to tear it up. Well, lock it. Lock your gate. A lot of times these thieves, they, they like the path of least resistance. If your gate's locked and your neighbor's is unlocked, they're probably going to go to your neighbor's. But they're looking for easy entry, something not to slow them down. And also what I tell people, it also, as, as an owner of cattle, you go up and, you know, you, you count your cows and you have a few missing. You may take a week or so to, to report it to anybody. If you show up to your gate and you see either your fence cut or lock cut on your gate, you're pretty much going to know immediately that you have been victimized and you're going to contact law enforcement that much quicker. And um, anybody in law enforcement will tell you the quicker we can get on a case, the better chance we have of solving that case. Yeah, that
2: is definitely a new perspective to somebody up here from the Midwest. You know, most, most of the livestock that we have are in small groups uh, and or in confinements. So a completely Completely different perspective for probably a lot of our listeners. What what do you see being the most common way that this theft is happening?
1: Well, uh, to be honest with you nowadays, it's a lot of it is fraud-related. People are being victimized, um, and, and I like to say they're getting their cattle stolen from them while the uh, the thief is shaking their hand and they're smiling at each other they're it's it's kind of turned to a white collar crime and unfortunately these these crimes can get into the hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, very quickly they're long tedious cases to investigate and prosecute uh, because all the all, all the paper involved in and in, in tracking those leads down be conscious of the dealing of the deals you get into with people always be leery of internet of anything on the internet you know, as far as advertising cattle for sale, there, there's a lot of scams out there. And if you have any question, call your local law enforcement agency and, and they will, uh, most of them will advise you, you know, hey, you might want to steer clear of this. Um, and obviously they can always call us also.
3: And Bo, is there any season or particular time of year that people should be even more conscious of these crime rates going up?
1: You know, I don't know that a particular time of year. Um, I think you should always be vigilant and always make yourself a hard target. I would say that definitely times like these, where the economy maybe not so great, inflation's rising, uh, may persuade some people on the fringe that may not have committed a crime a year ago. Um, now, you know, they start to get desperate and they will commit a crime now. So, anytime the economy's not good i would say thefts go up in general and and the thing about livestock theft theft of cattle it really doesn't it really doesn't matter what the market conditions for cattle are at any day at any at any day in time a person goes steal a a calf or cow um steer heifer and take it up to the local livestock market and they're going to get a hundred percent value for that unit and I kind of relate that the difference, you know, if you go steal a TV, uh, $1,000 TV, you might get a $100 for it um, on the street. Well, it's not the same with a cow. They can take it up to a livestock market and, and they're going to get what it's worth. And so it's always for somebody that knows how to do it. There, there's always an appeal there because of, of the value they get out of it. And so we have to take extra steps uh, to protect our investment.
2: We appreciate you jumping on like i said a lot of our listener base is going to find this conversation really interesting because you know you, you hear about it you you see it in the movies hear about the the major reports but to realize that it's an ongoing challenge in your area we usually like to say stories are refreshing but it's nice to know that at least there's a crew on the watch to help our producer listeners uh if something like this was to ever happen to them do you have any resources or websites our listeners could go to if they want to learn more about ways to, to keep their livestock safe or, or preventative measures? Yes, most
1: definitely. Um, uh, tscra.org, that, that is our website, and uh, we, we often carry uh, crime prevention tips on there. There's a method if they want to um, become a member and get a, get a m- monthly magazine with some crime trends, crime watch stuff in there. Um, you know, there's a method to, uh, you know, to sign up. Obviously, um, we offer different services to people in Texas and Oklahoma because that's where our law enforcement branch has jurisdiction. Obviously, we, we accept membership from all over. You know, I would definitely recommend that website, regardless if you want to be a member or not, it does have valuable information. In it.
3: Bo, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great to catch up with you and get to share with our listeners a bit about what you do and how you help protect our producers in Texas and Oklahoma.
1: Thank you, Cassidy. Thank you, Tanner.
2: Well, there you go, Delaney. It's done right to your face. The most common form of livestock theft is basically done through a handshake and then sold without it being sold in your name, uh, taken to an alternate delivery fashion. So great tips there from Bo as to how we can keep our livestock safe and identified with ourselves. So if you're a cattle rancher, if you're raising cattle, look at branding. Sounds like that's about the only way to officially make sure your livestock does not get stolen.
0: What an interesting uh, interview, Tanner, to say the least.
2: Yeah, thanks to Cassidy for lining that up. I don't think that's perspective I would have gained without having her on the team. So other than that, Delaney, a great tech tuesday listeners thank you for hanging out with us and hopefully you come back again tomorrow so what do you say delaney is it time to let the listeners go
0: let's let them go tanner